Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another episode of Crushing Cashflow. I'm your host, Andrew Shutsky. With me today is Jason Yarusi. Jason is a seriously impressive dude. He's a multifamily investor, ultra marathon runner, father, husband, and fellow podcaster as the host of a multifamily live podcast. He's a managing member of Yarusi Holdings. Along with his wife, Peely, they hold ownership and interest in over 800 units and over 75 million in assets under management. So really impressive numbers there. Is if that weren't enough, Jason and his wife created the Multifamily Foundation, which is an organization devoted to teaching others and winning process around investing. So you've got a lot going on, man. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you having me. I think just father, fatherhood and alone can be enough for, for a dude, as you can relate to your kids are similar to mine. So the fact that you stacked all that on top of your, your job is really impressive. So thanks again. Yeah, we got to give power to our wives, man, all, all, all they do. And so, you know, you leave me with the kids for a couple hours and they get a little, a uh, little more, I guess, ability to do some things that they probably shouldn't be doing. And then they have to get ran, wrangled back in by mom when she comes home. So all part of the day's work. Absolutely. You can't, I can't emphasize that enough on what they, what they go through on a day to day. So that's awesome. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, you've got a unique background and on the training and, and, and athlete side. I think that, and I want to touch on how that connects to your mindset around multifamily investing and you, and your, and your kind of notes you sent over, you talked about using the hundred mile mindset. I can kind of guess what that might be. How, what does that mean to you? And how do you apply that to investing? You know, you hear the destination is the journey. And so many times with life that we we anticipate that if we just get to there, you know, everything's gonna be perfect, right? So so if I just, you know, get this uh, fancy car or just I find this, you know, perfect person in my life or um, I get to this amount of money or I get this many units. And what happens is that because we don't have that, we get scared off the ledge and we never get started, right? Or we try and figure out every single perfect plan every piece of that. And it's like Mike Tyson says, you know, then you get out and plan day one is completely offset from where you are. And now then you stop again. Right. And so, so many times that we just never get started. We never get out of the gate. We never push forward. And what I found with, with running was that it was one of these parts where you, you, you people get into this many mental barrier. I was running uh, with a friend a couple months ago and he said, you know, I always get stuck at this one spot, like three miles and he would just stop. Right. And just could never get by it. And the day I was like, well, let's just run 20 feet more. You could do 20 feet more, right? Because in his mind, he had four miles, right? Right. But, but, you know, that was it. Like I, oh, it would always stop, you know, just stop running at that one spot and just couldn't get past it. But then, you know, the next time I was like, let's just run 20 feet more. And then lo and behold, a couple weeks later, he goes back, you know, I've run five and six miles. And that's because his mind allowed him to not worry about that next four miles, just get 20 feet further. Next time you get 20 feet further. And what I found with ultra marathons is that I started running back really kind of 
about 2007, 2008, you find friends don't do sports anymore. So I started, um, okay, I'm just going to do a marathon, right? Well, you can do marathon training, right? And so you get some kind of plan, go out, maybe you start with one, two, three miles per week, you know, per day. By the end, maybe you'll do some 20 mile runs. When you start running ultras, hundred mile races, it's not like two weeks out from the race, you're running a couple 80 mile races, right? So your, your buildup's a little bit differently. And I found that because I didn't know the experience, what I had to do was just put myself in a position to be ready when time comes. And so I started running six miles every single day, regardless if it was raining, snowing, whatever, you know, New Jersey weather brought at that time. I felt, you know, great. I felt horrible. My knee hurt, my ear hurt, you know, just whatever was the case, got up and ran every single day because it just was consistency put in there. Because when I found that if I got out of the gate and I said, starting this race, okay, let me focus on hundred miles. Well, my mind would just freak out because I wouldn't have any clue what that felt like. And so it, everything would be pinging, pinging, pinging. Oh, you better stop. And you know, not ready for this. You're going to hurt yourself. You know, all the things that come up with when you're not clear on where your purpose is going. But if you get out and say, Hmm, okay, here I am hundred miles. Let's just get the first mile down and we'll figure it out then. Then the second one you say, okay, let me just get to the uh, first, you know, drink station. Okay. So maybe we're in mile seven and then we continue to repeat that process further and for- further. Maybe we're at mile 40. Then we get to mile 50. Then it might just become as simple as, Hey, let me just see if I can get to the bridge. Uh, can I just run another 500 feet and get to the tree? And can I just get to that next part and figure it out from there? And lo and behold, you get to the end and here you are at hundred miles, because instead of looking at everything was the top of, of the the mountain that you needed to get to, you just said, what's that first thing I need to do? And can I just get there and figure it out? And with life and with anything, with multifamily, to get out of the gates, you have to figure out a first step and understand that's going to give you the better questions to go forward because we don't know all the questions to ask to lead us to the good answers. And to take that step, it might be completely in the wrong direction, but at least you've identified something not to do. And that's going to give you more clarity where to go forward. I love that. So what are the, I mean, you relate that back to multifamily. You talked a lot about the running experience, which I, you know, I, I love how you said, oh, let me just start with just a marathon. Like for me, that is, that's might as well be a hundred miles. Like I'm just, you know, do a 5k is, is an event, but so anyway, what, what are the, when you, when you took the first step in multifamily, what did that look like? Did you start with single family and work into work your way up or did you just jump in? Yeah. And because, you know, we didn't know what else was out there. So we were um, came back from New York City to help my dad run his family uh, construction business. It just blew up when uh, Hurricane Sandy happened. Right. So came out there and we knew that that, that was a step and we, we were great to help dad. But we wanted to move into a different phase. We came upon real estate and we thought, you know, logically, oh, well, flipping, wholesaling, all the things that you hear about. Right. That are like front in front of your face. Right. So we did that for a couple of years and we were in a bunch of different spaces. And it took my wife to meet someone who was buying small properties out of state, putting in teams, putting in systems, you know, renting them out, but doing that from, you know, where they were here in New Jersey. We replicated that process. Instead of buying single family, we started buying two and three units, but it was, it was going great. We just knew that it, it wasn't really scalable. It wasn't like I was going to have like 50 duplexes across the, you know, across a state. It just, it just seemed like a logistical nightmare. And I heard about large apartment investing and that was that aha moment. And that was that aha moment where I can use all of our management background, all of the things that we can bring to the table to allow us to get our economies to scale and get back what was the ultimate goal in the the beginning to find a way to choose our day and choose our time, to be able to choose when we want to hang out with our family or hang out with our kids, right? Because Peely was pregnant with uh, our first, actually the second child at that time. And we were learning that new step and where we want to go into an evolution in our process. And it was buying large multifamily. 
So we dove all in back in 2016. We brought our first uh, deal in 94 unit in the uh, middle of 2017. But it was without the first things. Could you do that straight out of the gate? Yeah, absolutely. But identifying what we didn't want in the beginning, like, okay, the flipping, the wholesaling, the things that we were doing that now we know we didn't want, that allowed us to get clear on the vision of where we wanted to go with multifamily. So going to a 94 unit is, is a big step. And I, I can relate. That was my first a GP deal was a 94 unit. What was going nice. through your mind when you're negotiating that, getting involved, whatever your role may be? You know, what were you feeling? Were you, were you petrified? What, what, and had, if so, how do you overcome it? You know, it's, it's setting up the right team behind you. So we, we had a great property manager. We, you know, we had uh, good uh, investors on board. We had, all, we had everything that we were setting up, all the things in our control so we could just focus on the deal. Um, funny enough, we actually offered on this deal six, seven months prior. And it, it, was, it wasn't really marketed. It was just out, you know, through our network. And the, the guy, they wanted um, $3.2 million, And we wrote up an offer and with, with the narrative of why we're doing it at, at $2.1 million. Well, they came back and countered us at $3.2 million. So it wasn't much of a, uh, of, of really a negotiation. We said, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And, you know, just went our merry way. Lo and behold, you know, we were tracking our properties. We just said, oh, I wonder what's happened with that property six months later. Well, it never did anything, right? Never transpired, never happened because they were asking too much. And everybody was probably offering somewhere in range where we were. So we went in, raised our offer back up $50,000 from, from you know, $2.1 to you know, $2,150,000. Again, remind, remember, they were at 3.2. Well, three hours later, we get this counter back at 2.6. Like, whoa. And that's when we really got real because we were able to negotiate that back at 2.3 million. And it was wow. fantastic to get across the board, but it was just one of those things you have to realize that everybody else probably offered, but forgot about the property and time changes. Everybody changes. Everybody's perspective changes. Everybody's opinion changes all, all your thoughts about things. Right. And for these owners, they weren't actually the owner. They, they now were, but the, the father was like in his nineties and had passed away. And it was five or six kids who weren't kids. They were fifties and sixties years old who lived out of state. And they somewhere in their mind, they got this price that this was the price that they should you know, they put out their property, but when you just don't get at it, all of a sudden now they're like, well, we got this huge apartment building. What are we doing now? And nobody's offering on us anymore because we said no to all these offers. What do we do now? Right. So when our offer came apart, you know, it was right one timing, you know, some more luck, but also us pushing forward and, and making sure that we're continuing to carry out the process. Yeah. It just goes to show you, you're never really out of the game. I mean, no matter how much time passes and you might, you might completely give up, but six, seven months, sometimes you hear people a year or two goes by still under the same ownership situations change. It's just funny. You're throwing those numbers out there, you know, 2.63 million, 94 units. If you fast forward to 2021, I mean, unless you're completely in a class D get up. I mean, wouldn't you love to just, I mean, it just doesn't exist today. I know. And it's funny because you look at how much things have changed. You're just like, we were the lowest price, lowest uh, acquisition in that submarket in like five years, and we walked into a deal, and like it was, it was fantastic. And within um, twelve months, we refied. Um, we actually refied a three point two million. Funny enough, because we got the value back out exactly where, where it was, you know. So, but when you think about it, yeah, times completely change. The, the narratives change, so, but that's the ebb and flows of of the market, right? When you look at, at where things will continue to go. I mean, we have a lot of money coming in these deals. There's a lot of money out there really chasing properties and we're at um, a deficit of the available assets out there. Or there's um, a big part where ownerships are, are really pushing for, for 
quite a price point right now because they're getting it and, or they know people that are getting it. And there's someone out there who maybe their dollar is not the same as our dollar, where maybe they don't need the certain returns, maybe just need a store of value. Who knows that they're, they're taking down properties. So we'll see this for a little while until this is hedges off and we see money move out into a couple of different other spaces. Yeah. And we hope the trend continues and well in the next year where we look back and say, man, I was only paying a hundred thousand a unit or 150 for a class B. I mean, it's maybe that's yep. what we'll be at in 2022. You never know. So that's great. And that's usually what it is. I, someone's phrased this one time. It was like, you know, you always thought the milk, like everybody always thinks the milk a gallon is expensive. Right. And then like, you know, like, like I remember my grandpa was like a milk a gallon was 20 cents. It was so expensive. And then it's like, it's a dollar. And now it's like three ninety nine. Like, yeah. Just the the flow of the world, man. It's all we always look back and say, like, what if, right? What if we had that then? But now it, it's always that creep up in price that you just don't realize is actually happening. Yeah, it's it's all relative, and we'll be telling our kids the same thing, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. So yep. I when it. I was your age, yeah, exactly. No. So one other thing I want to hit on too, I saw in, in kind of your notes and your bio, you know, you had I wake up at four thirty two a.m. Is that every day, seven days a week? I do. Uh, times change most days, but most days is that unless something else is in the ebb and flow. I do that for a reason. It's four, three, two, one, go. Because I, I, I make sure that I don't give myself a reason to lose out of the gate. And so four, three, two is the time I use. So when it happens, alarm goes off, four, three, two, one, get up, get out the door, get yourself, get yourself on with your day, get moving. Because we find that we have to start building wins into our day, into our mind. And we set the narrative that out of the gate, first thing you want to do is, oh, maybe I'll sleep in. And then now that becomes, now you're a little bit late getting up. And now maybe your kids are up and you have to go on that part. And then you're, you're missed a call and now you have somebody from work's going early. And then now you're running out the door, you're late for work. Now you're on a yeah. roller coaster and now the whole day is out of control. And you can't control anything. So when something comes up, you have to deal with it now is layered on to everything else that you've already lost control of and your day spirals out of control. You get to the night and say, what just happened? You say, this won't happen again. And then tomorrow you repeat it. And then you do decades of that, right? And you look back and you go, which has happened? So taking back the control of your day from the start, set yourself in a position that you can win what you can win. So you can move yourself forward. So when things come up, you can, you can deal with them. But most uh, people choose to allow the day to control them and then say, I don't have enough time or I don't have this because they haven't got back to what's core important, build wins in. So when you, when there is the opportunity for you to really capture something great, that your mind is completely ready for it because you've remembered, you've taught or retaught yourself how to win. Lots of us, we just, we forget how to win, right? We ultimately assume that that losses are, are what's in front of us. Losses are the things that are, that they actually carry the weight, but more it's that that's where our minds put out to us. It's like, if you were a hundred percent perfect, right? You know, everything was perfect, right? And then maybe you got a splinter, right? Well, you're 100% healthy, all these other good parts. But if you put all your attention to that splinter and just and just sat there and just said, oh, the splinter is the worst thing and just never did anything with it, right? They, well, yeah, then maybe it would be a bad day because of that splinter. But if you had the best day, the best, the best, everything going on, and you just happen to have a splinter in there, and you focus on the good, then it's, it's, it's an oversight, you never even think about it. But our attention most of the time goes to what's the one piece of negative in our day, and that counteracts everything else that's great. So our focus just needs to make sure we're using those energies, using those resources in the right place. I really love that. And I like it for two, I love it for two reasons. One is, you know, obviously you're starting the day in the right direction. You're starting with the winning mindset. And the second piece of doing that repeatedly is the consistency behind it, right? And as well as you, you know, as well as I do, you're gonna have bad days. 
but starting with kind of the odds in your favor in the right in the right direction with momentum behind it, it just increases your chances of getting things done, right? And, and, and yep. being successful. So I love that on many dimensions. So thanks for sharing that. Um, what would have been your, some of your, you know, maybe talk about a setback or two, what have been some of your biggest lessons learned to date or things you would do differently in the past? Maybe one or two examples would be great. You know, I, I guess the, the one thing differently, I would have gotten bigger, you know, quicker. Right. So I think then that from, but that's the same thing to pricing guidance, right? So you always think you're out price. So I would just continue to move that narrative forward. But ultimately when you look back, would I have been ready for that? I don't know. So it's one of those things you can always look back and have hindsight, but it's, it's of, certain little value because you may have not been ready. Like if I was to do this when I was 20, I wouldn't have been ready for it. So if someone was like, here's the keys to all the perfect information, why I wouldn't have been set up correctly for my mind and everything else to go out and do it. So it would have been squandered. Right. So it's looking back and saying, okay, here's where I can learn to go forward. So I can capitalize on that moving into it. Um, setbacks, you know, they, they happen all the time. Right. So it could be anything on the front. It's just, how can you build from there? Um, we had, um, a property where, uh, you know, and this is where team come in, where um, I got a, a bunch of them. First thing that comes to mind is that we had a property where uh, we had a lift station on the property and uh, the lift station went down um, a couple months after buying it. It was inspected. Everything was good for that part. There was a random electrical short, took the lift station down, took the water down to the whole building with, uh, you, know, you know, 50, 60 tenants. And the, the, the piece ended up being made that had to be replaced was Chinese made. And they were like, oh yeah, it's going to be three months to get the part. I was like, so that's probably not going to be a timeline we can work with three months right now. So luckily we had the team in place. We were able to find a, a complete overhaul for replacement of the system within you know, three days compared to three months. You know, if we start, but the tenants had been through this in the past with the prior owner handled horribly here. We handled it perfectly, handled it the best of the ability, but I made sure everybody was well informed of what was going on. Um, you know, brought them bottles or all the other things we, we need to do here um, to make this the best of the worst situation. And so that was a learning process that keeping people informed, giving people updates, um, looking for other alternatives and not just taking the first response as, as the, you know, the Holy grail that puts you in the best position to continue to carry forward. Now it wasn't ideal. You know, I don't wish down on anybody. Also, you don't want your tenants in that place, but it happened and you have to look at it and say, what can we learn from this? I love that. It's a great story and great example. So thanks for sharing that. Sure. So get, getting up on time here, uh, last question again, thanks for sharing all those stories and mindset, all fantastic tips. How can listeners get in touch with you guys? Yeah, sure. Uh, so two ways. Uh, we're actually putting on an event, uh, June 10th, 11th, and 12th, multifamily live event. We're going to just dive into all things multifamily. So it, all the questions that you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, how do we end the right deal? How do we source deals? How do we raise capital? Multifamilyliveevent.com. If you want to see more about our company, jerusiholdings.com. Perfect. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you joining. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.